This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Monica Perez welcoming back a returning guest, Nikki Goser, the executive director of the Crime Prevention Research Center and author of Stalked and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helps My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me. So we've talked to Nikki before. Last month, January, was Stalker Awareness Month, and it's a good time to, I feel like these are a lot of issues that women don't realize how vulnerable we are, how, what a great equalizer being able to be armed and have some, not be defenseless. And Nikki could not be a better spokesperson for this. So I want to hear all about the original story, which some of you may have heard, but also what's happening now, bring us up to today. So thank you for being here, Nikki. It's great to see you. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. I appreciate you having me on. All right. So I know you've told this story so many times and I know it's, um, that your book, I mean, it, it's, it's scary. It's scary even just to read the title of your book. And I hate that you have to relive this, but you have dedicated your life to making sure this doesn't happen to other people, or at least trying to stop or trying to change the policies that created this problem in the first place. So if you wouldn't mind telling us again, your story, and then we can get up to what, what's going on now. So back in 2009, my husband, Ben, was murdered right in front of me by a man who was stalking me. And this occurred in the middle of a busy restaurant that was a gun-free zone uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And because of Tennessee state law at that time, I had to leave my legal permitted firearm that I normally carried for self-defense locked inside of my vehicle. Of course, the man who was stalking me did not have a permit to carry, and he brought a gun into a gun-free zone illegally. Uh, when I asked management to please remove him, um, because I realized I was being stalked, when they confronted him and asked him to leave, he pulled a 45 from a shoulder holster under his jacket and shot my husband seven times in front of myself and everyone in the middle of that busy restaurant. And I'll probably wonder for the rest of my life if I could have prevented that. Of course, I'll never know because I was denied a chance. I was stalked and defenseless. So I have tried as best as I can to educate people about the dangers of gun-free zones and educate people about um, stalking. Um, this stat may sound quite unbelievable, but it's, it's actually true. Uh, one in three women and one in six men in their lifetime uh, is potentially stalked in this country. And that's a surprisingly high stat. Um, of course, my case is very severe. It, it's one of you know the more most severe cases, but um, I felt like it's a really important topic. And um, you know, with those kind of stats, it, it's something that I think needs to be uh, talked about. And um, 
I wrote an, an opinion piece uh, that was published by Fox News a few weeks ago, and um, it talked about some of the advice that is given to victims of stalking. So many of these stalking awareness groups and women's rights groups, all of their advice is geared toward the victim completely restructuring and changing their life. And some of that advice may be truly needed. I mean, a victim may want to move, they may want to change their job, they may want to change their name, um, they may want to not follow the same routine, um, get an order of protection, contact police, you know, enter into a address confidentiality program through their, you know, state secretary of state's office. Um, but all of the information is, is geared toward basically running and hiding. Yeah. It's and you're a victim forever. Then you, you don't then ever are, are just see any option given for firearms training. Yeah, and that and that makes you a victim forever. It's extremely disempowering, and you are the one who has to suffer. It's a punishment for having been the victim of a crime. Before, yeah, I want to talk about your opinion on firearms training, on licensing, on all of that, because you are the executive director of the Crime Prevention Research Center. And I even want to talk about how preventive it is actually to be armed. But before we get to that, I did want to ask you. I, one of my, I mean, could be my favorite video clip of all time is Susanna Gratia Hupp in Congress saying to Chuck Schumer's giving her a dirty look that like, I don't want a gun for, for hunting. Like I want to be perfectly clear. And she, I mean, it was so, that was just such a moving moment, but she had the, a similar experience in that because of a new law, she left her firearm licensed everything in the car and she was her parents were fatally shot in the Luby's massacre in Texas I think I mean I I keep track of the of the anniversary it's like been 20 years I think almost and I always write her an email though I don't think she gets them but I just you know that's just a terrible story and she was licensed she was trained and you're saying that he had unlicensed firearms you had a licensed firearm that you were that you were not permitted to bring into this place did he, I know that uh, he went to jail, but not forever. And I wonder even what the penalties are for unlicensed firearm. And if that was just um, tacked onto his sentence consecutively, like did they throw the book at him? They probably would have thrown the book at you. So what happened there? Uh, unfortunately, he was not charged for any of the gun control law violations. You know, he was... Uh, he had no criminal record, um, which was surprising. But wow, that is almost unheard have. of. Yeah, that's almost unheard of that a first violent crime is a fatal attack with a gun. I'm, I just, it's almost unheard of. Well, I learned during the trial that he definitely should have been a prohibited person. He should have never oh, okay. been allowed to, um, to purchase a, a firearm. But regardless of, of that, I mean he should have gotten some serious uh he sh he should have gotten some serious help many many years before he ever showed up in nashville tennessee there were people uh in his past i learned during the trial that knew of his mental issues and people should have done something at that point um yet you're sorry go ahead 
but nobody did, unfortunately. Right. No yet, one. Yet you're against, if I understand correctly, red flag laws, at least the way that they're structured now. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. I, I am against red flag laws, the way that they're structured right now, because they don't include due process. And, you know, I don't, um, how do I say this? Being a victim of a violent crime, I can tell you that um, what I went through is very scary. And I, I don't want anyone else to go through that. But at the same time, I don't believe in trampling on others basic human right of self-defense and i believe that due process is absolutely necessary um I, I believe there are ways to go about um making sure that those who are a danger to themselves or others um don't have access to guns but quite frankly I mean, let's get real. If someone is truly a danger to themselves or others, um, do we, you just want to, if you just take a gun away, well, there's all kinds of other ways that they can oh, yeah. harm themselves and others. That's the thing about women versus men and the gun control debate. It's like a man has many, many ways to hurt you and to defend against you, but there's hardly anything that, I, there's nothing that's as good an equalizer as being armed and defensive. But the for me, my opinion on the red flag laws on um, involuntary mental health, uh, incarceration, mental illness is, and you know, maybe it doesn't have to be strictly this, but I feel like criminals like this guy get a full trial if they want them. And I know he didn't have a jury, probably would be in jail forever if he did, but they get more rights than somebody who's defending uh, him or herself against having their guns taken away or being incarcerated. Why not a jury of your peers? You know, if you're going to take a liberty like that, that could cost you your life, either your freedom or your actual life, why not have a process as rigid as any other that's going to throw you in jail, which is basically with the mental illness thing. So I agree with you. It's the due process that's the problem. I don't think it's completely out of the realm of justice to take away if somebody is I, as somebody's a real risk to you. And there are laws in place that if somebody is a real risk to you, there are things that you can do. But this guy, you I've heard you say that you didn't even know until that day that he was this kind of a problem. Correct. Yeah, that is correct. But um, so it was going back to your original question. Um, it was a bench trial, no jury, judge only. And unfortunately, it was a liberal judge. Um, the Nashville, Tennessee courts are run by liberals. Um, and uh, the judge ended up dropping it from first degree premeditated murder to the lesser offense of only second degree in the state of Tennessee. That's only 15 to 25 years. He ultimately got 23 years at 100% with no parole, but that was a lie because he's been allowed to earn early release, good behavior credits, and he is going to be released early. Um, in wow. October of 2028. That will be here before I know it's it. Five and years it's from now. It's absolutely terrifying. Plus, there's more. Um, you know, when the police searched his vehicle at the crime scene, they found two more guns, ammunition, a baseball bat, binoculars, gloves, rope, and a knife. 
Oh, he was going to kidnap you. Rope. What? That is what you and everyone else that (laughs) hears that thinks. And yes, I I cannot help to but think that myself. Um, That's planned. Oh, it's absolutely planned. Absolutely. Um, This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, he's getting out early, but I have learned that he has been stalking me from prison for years. Um, I filed a wrongful death suit against him, which I won, but he's indigent, so I get nothing. But, you know, the court paperwork is sent to the inmate at the prison. So so my attorney's address was on that paperwork. And what does he do? He starts sending me twisted love letters to my attorney. The first two letters came before the murder trial even took place. And I, yeah, I immediately notified, I notified the prosecutor, the victim witness coordinator, the detective, and no one did anything to help. Did the judge even know that? No, apparently not. Um, And I'd ask them, you know, please, I need your help. I want this to stop. I need to get a restraining order. And no one helped me. So what do you do when people won't help you? So I told my attorney, look, I don't think these letters are going to stop. Please don't tell me. Like, please do not tell me if more come. I can't handle this. Like, we haven't even gone through the murder trial yet. I, Nobody's helping me. So just don't tell me. And my attorney honored that request for years. He honored that request from a very distraught widow. And um, it wasn't until 2019 when I reached out to my attorney, former attorney, uh, that he told me about all the other letters that had come. How long ago did this happen? Like what year did your husband get killed? 2009. Okay. So that that was halfway through the process, this guy had, your lawyer had, you know, it's been, so that's 14 years ago. 13. It'll be 14 in April. Yeah. So, wow. And he's getting out in five years. That's terrifying. Yeah. So then it gets, it gets worse. Like, gosh, this is why I feel so strongly about all of this. Okay. Um, Because people seem to think that the system will protect them and that law enforcement will protect them. And, I'm here to tell you, no, 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 it won't. Um, I've been through this. I've lived it. And I'm here to tell you, no, the system will not protect you. You have to protect yourself. Um, So, (laughs) of course, I got these letters from the attorney and I immediately started reaching out to people. I let the, you know, hired an attorney because I wanted to be taken seriously this time. I had been ignored before and I didn't want to be ignored this time. So I hired an attorney and the attorney reached out to the prison warden, the department of corrections, 
the United States Postal Service, the U.S. Attorney's right. Office, everyone, all of these bureaucrats were made completely aware of the stalking from prison. They were sent the letters and no one was doing anything. And I was dealing with statute of limitations. Oh, yeah. So I gave it a few more months and then I just got desperate because I was running out of time. He was not going to be able to be charged if any more time lapsed. So um, I, I got desperate and I, I reached out to the media and it, it was, I believe, WSMV TV in Nashville. I did an interview with them and explained everything and they ran the report. They actually ran just the teaser for the full report and I got a phone call. Oh, no way. It was Gosh. the U.S. Attorney's Office. They are going to charge him with a uh, federal felony stalking. And uh, it took me going to the media to get the help that I needed. And um, he has just pled guilty to that charge. And it will be an additional felony on his record. Unfortunately, he is only going to be sentenced to one year in federal prison after he serves his state prison time. Um, but what I'm doing is using that conviction and going to the Tennessee Department of Correction and saying, look, he committed a federal felony. While wow, he was, he was here. Yeah. Why are you giving him early release? Good behavior credit. Oh, this is not good behavior. I want that completely revoked. So now I'm waiting to hear if they will revoke it or not. And how much early was he getting out? He'd already earned the max in early release credits. It, it's three and a half years. Okay. And I know some people are thinking, oh, that's nothing three it's and a half still years. still not enough. It's, you're right. It's still not enough. But think about yourself as the victim. Three and a half years that you don't have to constantly look over your shoulder. That is meaningful. So yeah, and I maybe maybe he won't problem. maybe he won't survive. That that would be nice. <laughs> no, definitely. He will have a massive heart attack in prison. That, that would, would be, be great. great. <laughs> I'm with you there. So yeah. now you have this a law that you are the first recipient or beneficiary of a lifetime protective order. Tell me about that process, and also, you know, how much better does that really make you feel? Yeah. So. Um, when the report ran about what I was dealing with, um, I started speaking with lawmakers in Tennessee and in particular, um, uh, representative William Lamberth, um, spoke with him and I, I said, look, you know, there are some violent crimes that are, there are, there are just some situations that are absolutely so horrific that a lifetime order of protection is truly needed. In the state of Tennessee, orders of protection are usually a year. Oh my if it's gosh. the most extreme case, the most extreme case you can think of, you might be able to petition for five years, but that's the max. So victims have to keep going back to court to petition again and again for these orders of protection and it's traumatizing. They don't want to have to go face this person again and again and again. It's torture. It's just additional trauma on top of, of trauma. And it's so unnecessary. 
And I just said, look, I want a lifetime order of protection. I should not have to do this again and again. I don't want to do this again and again. And I don't want other victims to do this again and again. And they agreed. So um, they created a bill and I went and testified uh, before the committee and everyone voted yes throughout the entire voting process. Everyone voted yes and it passed unanimously. And so we now have that law on the books and I was the very first Tennessean to be granted a lifetime order of protection. However, I tell people, look, it's only a piece of paper and I fully understand that. And I encourage people to be their own first responder, go get professional firearms training, learn situational awareness, carry a gun legally, practice, you know, be your own first responder because look, when seconds count, the police are likely minutes away. And I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement, but even law enforcement knows they can't be anywhere and everywhere at any time. So when you say you carry a firearm legally, are you, is that because that's just what we should do to not have trouble? Or do you think that there are licensing requirements, registries, other things like that, gun control measures that are, that you're in favor of? Like what's your position on those, that whole spectrum of policies? So I can tell you that I do support constitutional carry now. <laughs> I wasn't always that way. It honestly, it took me a while to get there. And the only reason I say that is I struggled with the, the, the training aspect of it. I felt like if people carry, it's so important that they understand justifiable use of force when they can and cannot use that gun, you know, for, for self-defense, because you can get yourself in trouble. You can hurt innocent people if you don't know what you're doing. But the more I thought about it, I, I'm like, you know, this this is a right. This is this is a constitutional right. The basic human right of self-defense here. Why should I have to pay the government for something that's a right? What other rights do we have that we have to pay the government for? And that's what licensing is. That's what permitted, you know, these permits that you have to get in order to carry. That's what that is. You are paying the government for something that is right. And I think that that's wrong. You shouldn't have to do that. And there's also the aspect that training, licensing, registries, all of those things, waiting periods particularly take time. And it's, I, I have read, I, I could be wrong. I know you guys are just all about stats and I ab absolutely trust what you have to say. So I don't know where I, I remember reading this, but that waiting periods actually have an, uh, perverse effect in that the people who are in a panic to get a gun are people who know, innocent people who know they're in danger from a stalker or somebody um, committing domestic violence against them, often women. So I actually just don't like the fact that you have to hesitate. And then, so I'd like you to respond to that, but I also feel like there's, you know, at a certain point, human beings, we're in this, society is obviously complex. Human beings are complex. Like we have, uh, you know, there was a gun culture before gun control came along that people could handle because they grew up with it and kids learned how to use it and stuff because we are capable of that. We, that culture is intentionally 
uh, taken away from us and eroded, and then you can have accidents and stuff, and that is a shame. But I, I think it would be better to just restore the culture and recognize that human beings are capable of this. Um, but yeah, I feel like waiting periods are bad too, just or anything that makes you have to wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there have been cases, there's one out of, I think it was New Jersey, where a woman was being threatened by her ex and um, she had applied for her handgun carry permit and she was basically waiting and it was taking months to get wow. that approved. And the guy ended up coming to her home and he killed her in her driveway and she was waiting for that permit. Wow. So the permitting process, you know, can take months, um, waiting periods, you know, I think it's, uh, New Mexico right now wants to make a, like a 14 day waiting period to purchase a handgun. And I'm, I'm the first to tell you that is a bad idea because look, anyone with evil intent, anyone certainly who is planning a mass public shooting, these people plan this stuff well in advance. I mean, especially with these mass public shooters, they plan, if you, you can read some of their manifestos um, because they, they have them and we've gone and found some of them. And these people plan this stuff well in advance, sometimes six months, sometimes a year in advance. Look, a 14 day waiting period is not going to stop someone who is that determined and that evil. They will, they will wait that out. No problem. And they will still go through with their evil deed. What the waiting period will do is, is put good innocent, you know, innocent law abiding people in danger in particular, um, women, you know, victims of domestic violence, victims of stalking. You know, if you need a gun quickly and you're a law abiding person um, and, and you can't get that gun quickly to protect yourself when you feel threatened, you feel like your life is in danger, that could be very detrimental. It could mean that you end up dying. And those, uh, those waiting periods, the, the fact that somebody would get a uh, legally registered gun for the first time, like that is not the profile of somebody who is about to commit a murder. Like it's much more likely from what I've read that that person is looking for a defensive weapon. And there's something weird about the stats that I don't like also. So your situation, Susanna Gratiahup, the woman in New Jersey, you are all people where you could have prevented this murder with your weapon. But yet, so there are, those are gun crime stats that are used against you, right? Because now there were these murders, these gun murders that, that go into like the gun homicide rate. And also there's no stats about the homicides that were prevented from people exercising their right to self-defense. So I feel like those gun stats are really misleading and there's nothing to counteract them with. Well, it's, it's been found that it's like roughly 2 million defensive gun uses take place every year. And it's even tough to say that stat spot on because think about you know, people that use good law abiding people that use guns defensively, 
where the gun is drawn, but the gun is never actually fired. So you have stopped the crime from actually occurring, you know, the, the perpetrator going through with the crime. And in many of those instances, there may not even be a police report. So how do you even track that? Plus, some people may not even view themselves as a victim of crime when they just simply, you know, brandish the gun and stop the person from advancing on them or, or, or whatever. Yeah, there's, I had a real life experience where you could see how people's behavior is different from what, how you're presented. So somebody who just has a, has open carry, that person is absolutely not going to be the victim of a crime, you know, much less likely. And there were even some stats about where concealed carry was permitted, like all of a sudden rape rates like plummeted to zero, you know, like, so I'm not, those aren't the actual stats, but I've seen like highly correlated when, when it is known that you are armed or likely that you are armed, crime rates will just go down anyway. So I think that there's a, a lot of support to that. And yes, who would report a, um, a defensive use of a weapon? You just have nothing but trouble probably to, de- to report that. And I'm sure those stats don't get, um, you know, counted. Yeah. And you know, people need to really stop and think about, um, you know, of course men get stalked as well. Um, but women primarily, um, are usually the victims of, of stalking. And usually the, the perpetrators of that are men. Um, and men, let's face it, men are just physically in general, men are physically stronger than, than females. And a gun is a great equalizer and it just has to do with disparity of force. You know, I, I certainly do not want to take on a man, even my own size. He's going to be stronger yeah. than me. It's going to be very easy to, to overpower me. And, um, you know, if you do carry a gun legally to protect yourself, your job is not to act like law enforcement. You're not trying to go and apprehend um, the bad guy, the stalker. Um, your job is to try and keep that person away from you so they cannot get their hands on you. Um, and I think a gun is the best way to do that. So also I was wondering your views on the death penalty, because for me, I feel like, I mean, I, I object, I worry about the death penalty as because the government could use it against you for what they might call treason, which you could be defending the constitution, I think at some point and be convicted of treason. So I'm worried about the government having that power, but just from a moral point of view, to me, this guy should have gotten the death penalty. Absolutely. And I, I would only support the death penalty in cases like this, where it is, there is no question whatsoever that this person absolutely did this horrific crime. You know, my husband's murder was caught on film. There were security cameras in that restaurant. All on film, all of it. And there were witnesses and there's evidence of premeditation. Including myself. And he was, tackled there at the crime scene. There was a United States Marine that just happened to be in the crowd. And, you know, he had, um, 
he had put the gun back inside the holes, the shoulder holster and uh, zipped his jacket up and started to walk out like very calm, very calm. Like he was going to walk out and no one would know that he was the shooter. And that Marine turned around a corner um, and, and tackled him face on. And that four or five other men jumped on top and they all held him down and disarmed him. Um, until the police came, I was told the police arrived within three minutes of the 911 call, which is incredibly fast. But I can tell you that when it's happening to yourself or your loved one, it seems like an eternity. What justification did the judge give for reducing the guy's charges? Um, I think it had a lot to do with the mental health experts that were brought in. Um, they brought in a mental health expert from uh, Vanderbilt and Dr. Kimberly Brown was her name. And they tried for the insanity defense that did not work. However, um, the mental health expert said that she believed he has delusional disorder of the persecutory type and erotomania. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I think the judge felt sorry for him in some sense. You know, this mental health stuff, I, I, you know, to me, it doesn't matter. Of course. Um, it's it actually worse. Matter. You know, it's worse because there's little, it's unlikely that he's going to be rehabilitated. Oh, he's definitely not going to be rehabilitated. I think the chances of recidivism with him are extremely high. Yeah. And then, so the actual idea of mental health for me is, less than an excuse. It's the opposite. It's like, well, this guy, I, you know, maybe you don't give him the death penalty if you really feel like he is completely not culpable for his actions. But on the other hand, if he is clearly not culpable for his actions, he cannot control them. So unless there's evidence of his total cure on the mental illness front, I think he basically never gets out anyway. Even if, even if he was, you know, you can't blame him, but he's a menace. That's the whole point of, you know, the, Jails aren't just for retribution, they're for safety. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, not only myself, but I think others could be in danger as well if he's released, um, especially myself. But, yeah. Um, I, I think this is a very dangerous person to let back out into society. So if, if you had one thing to kind of, Tell the listeners what's the most important thing to do, what's the most important policy to oppose or support, you know, what's the most important thing you're working on. I mean, I feel like it's you've dedicated your life since this happened, seems to me, to, to educating yourself, to disseminating the information, to trying to get policies changed. I mean, you have really, we, I talk about a lot of problematic things and it's rare and like, you know, world changing when someone will dedicate their lives to something that could actually make a difference. And I think the narrower the focus, actually, the more likely that you can make that little bit of difference. But if you, if people were to support you and your efforts, what would you say is kind of the most important thing? You know, there's several things, I suppose. Um, I would like to see less of these gun-free zones. Uh, the law has changed in Tennessee now so that as long as you are legally able to carry, um, 
we have constitutional carry now in Tennessee, but um, I would like, you know, to see it where there are less and less gun-free zones. Um, in Tennessee now, in restaurants that serve alcohol, you are allowed to carry a legal um, permitted firearm. You just cannot drink any alcohol whatsoever. Um, I know some states are different. I think, I think it's that's kind of reasonable. I feel like it's true for cars. I mean, alcohol is dangerous. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, um, like in Arkansas, at least it was this way. I'll have to go back and check. But um, I traveled out there to give a talk. And I remember I went out to eat with some people and they ordered a margarita and they were carrying. And I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, that's not okay. It's <laughs> like against the law. At least that's what I was used to. But in that state, they were like, no, they treat it the same as, you know, alcohol and driving. As long as you're under 0 0.08, then you're fine. You can have a drink, you know, don't get intoxicated. Um, so, you know, I guess I understand that a vehicle is one big bullet. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's weird. I've, I've seen stats that say 33,000 highway deaths and 33,000 gun deaths. And I always think it's weird that 33 is a weird number for people. But uh, and I would break that. I would dig into the details of those numbers. I'm not saying that, but they, it does seem to be as dangerous a weapon to have a car, to have a car, to be accidental about it. Whereas I, I would say those are absolutely every one of those highway deaths are accidents. And in the gun cases, those gun stats, like I said earlier, some of them are defensive. So some of they're all probably deliberate, mostly deliberate and some are defensive. So I would say it's, it's less quote dangerous than a car, but so you don't, so the gun, gun free zones are something that are in the crosshairs for you, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I look at that as, a, you know, just a, honestly, I'm trying to kind of branch out into more of this, trying to protect victims of stalking. Of course, I want everyone to be able to protect themselves because you don't know crime there are bad people everywhere, quite frankly. I don't want people to be paranoid, I, but I do want them to be prepared. But, you know, so many of these gun control laws really impact the most vulnerable people. And some of the most vulnerable people are females. I've always said that women should, I, I don't understand women who are for gun control. Like they are not going to be the beneficiaries of that if they're law abiding. It's just not true. And I, I, and the, I have some cousins, some women who are uh, retired police in New York and they'll go anywhere. And because you get to carry like a LEO, you basically get to carry for life. Even in New York, when they've had the strictest rules, they're like, well, we don't completely prohibit firearms because retired law enforcement is allowed to have it. But I, my God, they're chicks and everything. And I'm like, geez, I wouldn't go anywhere near that neighborhood. And they're just like, what are you talking about? They're completely empowered and they're right. I think they're right. They know how to use it. So I love that you're you're focusing on um, that cause, which I believe women are just not aware of how important. And the rape stats too, like in other countries where they have zero guns, they have like that zero policy. The, I mean, the last time I looked, I did some research on this. The rape stats are kind of inversely correlated with gun freedom, and that's just that's just I think a fact. So yeah. You think about it, think about it. Think there's two or three guys that up and decide, oh, that girl's cute. I think I want to rape her. Well, two or three guys, guess what? They're going to rape you. Yeah, they are. 
they're going to totally overpower you. And that's what's going to happen to you if you have no way to really defend yourself. I had a caller. Yeah. In India, India, and um, there were all, there's this, all these like gang rapes on buses for some reason. Like there were so many of them during this period of time. It was, it was seeping into our news. And I was talking about it on the radio. I had a call in show. And then India, a guy from India called and was like, we have zero, we have zero tolerance for guns in India. And I was like, well, <laughs> like, are you not seeing the correlation here? But yeah, you're not getting away. She may not even get away with a gun, but at least she has a chance to, stop people down and, and get a, get a few steps in towards the door. So a lot of these, I, I think what I love so much about the crime prevention research center is that your work and John's work, he's such, he's such a great researcher of like the highest, you know, Thomas soul level, uh, um, quality that it's, in dispute, and I, I started liking him when I read his book, maybe potentially when it first came out, More Guns, Less Crime. And it's, I've seen people try to criticize him as like the stats don't hold up to scrutiny. And I'm thinking of anyone whose stats would hold up to scrutiny, they're his. So anything that I see on your website, I'm, will take it to the bank. I don't have to like, well, they've got putting spin on it. I find it unassailable. But in addition to that as a resource for people, um, is there a gun rights organization that you prefer that you think is, is the most um, reliable or focused on the right things, least politically compromised that you would encourage people to seek out? Um, you know, there are, there are at least a handful <laughs> that I, I like, um, but you know, they all have their strengths and, I don't really favor one over the other. Because you speak um, at some events for all sorts of organizations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to like just pick one. No, no, that's fine. If you, I was only wondering if you were to say, well, these guys like stay away because they're, they're constantly in favor of every quote common sense gun law and and there we are, um, you know, so. Well, I can tell you the ones that I'm, I'm, I can tell you the ones that I. Don't prefer. Don't listen to and don't. Yeah, do that. that yeah. You, yeah. That would probably be, um, every town moms demand action. Um, anything Bloomberg. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Bloomberg. So many of these organizations are funded by Michael Bloomberg yeah. and you know, totally biased. Um, but you know, I, they talk about common sense, common sense. Okay. Common sense gun laws. Well, is making law abiding people completely helpless common sense? I don't think so. I don't think so because evil people, criminals, by their very nature are not going to follow laws. Now the gun control groups will say, well, Oh, well, I guess we just shouldn't have any laws then no <laughs> laws. You know? And that's ridiculous. That That's ridiculous. I, I, I think, yes, there need to be laws, but there need to be laws that work. I care about this issue as well. I don't want good people harmed. I, I don't, I don't want to see another story on the news where there was a mass public shooting. It's awful. It's horrible. My life has been affected by so-called gun violence. I don't, 
I don't call it gun violence. I call it violence. <laughs> right. Violence, period. It's not about the object. Violence is a behavior. It's not an object. So to me, it, it doesn't matter what the object is that's, that's used. I mean, you can murder someone with your bare hands, especially if you're a man. Um, well, there are lots of, of good men out there and I'm not man bashing here no, at all. No, I, they're just bigger. I, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just stronger. And stronger they're stronger. And, even if they're not, I agree with you. Like my son can definitely take me and he's not really bigger than I am, but they're just stronger. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there are so many great men out there and many of them, you know, care about, Females, you know, they've got sisters, they've got mothers, they've got wives, girlfriends. They are our protectors. The good men are. But let's face it. There are evil men out there. There just are. And you've got to be able to protect yourself because you don't know where they are. And with the criminal justice system, letting these people out of prison, you know, it's like a revolving door so many times. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you, but what's up with that? The latest on that, do you have opinions on, on what this trend is all about? Oh, you know, we saw this during COVID, you know, they were letting people out. That's true. Violent people they're letting out. It's Democrat policies. I don't understand it. And you see where, you know, some of these cities, Democrat run cities, their crime rates are just skyrocketing. And you have to wonder about the people that vote. Why do you continue to vote this way? It's not working. I, eventually, you would think that people would say, huh, you know what? Crime is really horrible, and maybe I should not be voting for these people. This is this did not work out the way I wanted it to. I'm very suspicious of those laws because I feel like if you had a problem with crowding or you wanted to make some of these systems fairer, there are plenty of people who go to jail for nonviolent drug offenses or other kind of, yeah. you could just focus on that. So when they said we're going to change, I was like, that's great because there are a lot of people who should not be incarcerated for Using a drug offense. Yeah. Yeah. Those people need rehabilitation. They need to be in a treatment program. I think, yeah, if you're concerned about prisons, you know, being overwhelmed, then stop putting people in prison for, you know, minor drug stuff. Like, come on, let's get real here. Let's save prison for violent people. Right. Absolutely. And people are probably in jail for gun offenses. For carrying. I mean, that's what I feel like. If people are carrying and they're in jail for that, that's not a violent crime. That's it surely shouldn't be a crime at all. And that, so that they did not charge this guy with those offenses. Yet I feel like I worry about you when he gets out because you're a gun rights advocate and you are in danger and you will be carrying, I assume, will probably even live in a place where you couldn't. And you might have pissed people off along the way who will throw the book at you for any minor infraction. And you're, you know, you're being, I worry about that for you. Are you worried at all about that? I'm a little bit worried about yeah. it. I mean, there, there are certain places that I need to go that are gun-free zones. Like if I have to go mail something, 
I have a package. You know, I do work that requires me to send books yeah, to conferences right. and do different things. I have to go to the post office. Well, guess what? The post office is one huge gun-free zone. You can't even have it locked in your vehicle in the parking lot. You can't. It's a and federal felony. Going postal was the original expression for mass shooting. So that you actually yeah. are in danger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. You know, that's one place where a stalker could get you yep. easily. And they know it. At, you got to run to the post office. Ah, oh, gun-free zone. I know exactly where I can get her. And she's not going to be able to protect herself there. She's not allowed to carry there. Wow. And of course, that kind of stuff he doesn't scary. care. Yeah, he's not going to care. But speaking of books, I'd like to end on uh, just encouraging people to read your book, Stalked and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me. Is it... Uh, I can't just even saying it is super scary, but do you prefer that people buy that on Amazon or should they go to your website? Is your website called stalked and defenseless, like spelling out the and.com? Yes. Stalked and defenseless.com. And, um, yeah, you can find my book there, but it's all through Amazon. And you're fine with that. It'll just redirect you to Amazon. <laughs> right. Right. And, and about the other work, the crime prevention research center, that's uh, .org, I think, right? That's crime prevention research center.org. No, it's actually crime research.org. Okay. Crime research.org. I do type in the whole thing and I, I get it. So I didn't realize that, but that's where John, where your media appearances are and his articles and research, that's why I reached out to him again. I wanted to talk to him again, and I'm sure I will, because he had just come out with some new research, and I know he puts the effort into it, so it's really worth talking about, and uh, and I loved his book, too. So I encourage people to get your book, Nikki Goser, G-O-E-S-E-R, and is there anything else to social media, anything that you want people to find you at or follow? Um, No, that should you do You don't it. tweet? I used to tweet, but I don't anymore. Twitter is kind of a cesspool of sludge. Yeah, they will troll you there. And I, as my son says, I'm lucky because I'm totally shadow banned and nobody ever, <laughs> I don't talk to anybody I don't already know on Twitter. But yes, I would not imagine that someone who has been stalked and has controversial political views would want to be on Twitter. So I don't blame you for that. And thank you so much. I'll put links in the show notes for everybody. And I really appreciate your time. And I know that this is really an act of charity that you do this work because I can only imagine how painful it is to have to keep reliving it. But I, I just, I really respect you for it. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Monica. All right. This is Monica Perez. And you have been listening to Deep Dives with Monica Perez.